Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. First, though, we talked about Bill C-11 on Friday. It's passed. Uh, you remember Bill C-11? It's that controversial streaming act. Basically, what it is is an update, an overhaul of Canada's broadcasting laws, which hadn't been updated since, well, before the Internet existed. Okay, so they were way out of date. To say the least, the government has said that this law is going to force streaming services, think Netflix, um, Spotify, things like that, to support and promote Canadian media, movies, TV shows, and music. So what does that mean for music? We're going to chat with Eric Alper now. Uh, Eric is a freelance music publicist, a Sirius XM radio host, and a frequent contributor to this show. Eric, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time, as always. No problem. And just in case if people are wondering how long it's been since the Canadian government updated that Broadcasting Act, the Leafs weren't even in the playoffs back then. <laughs> Good one. Stay, <laughs> stay timely, Eric. Um, listen, what, what we're talking about here is 21st century CanCon, right? I mean, CanCon's yeah. been around for a long, long time, and this is just a modern version of CanCon, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It it. it it just allows companies and platforms like Netflix and Crave and Spotify, Amazon Prime, uh, Disney and YouTube are now subject to the Canadian content rules and regulations that radio stations and TV stations have had for decades. And uh, no surprise, there was arguments on both sides from the creator content point of view and also um, people who felt that maybe, you know, it's time that we actually don't need Canadian content rules, yeah. but they're wrong. The fact of the matter is that when you live in the shadow of America, you need every single opportunity not only to help support the artists and the producers and the directors and the actors and actresses that that make our lives that much better, um, but it also helps the job and the economy. What's wonky about it is that if I were to tell you that Disney's turning red animated film about a Chinese-Canadian teen growing up in Toronto that starred Sandra who was born in Ottawa, that wasn't Canadian content. And in fact, Dune, who had the Montreal director and a huge team of Canadian collaborators, that wasn't a Canadian um, uh, program as well. So it, there's that fine line, and I think people who are music fans, or at least entertainment fans that are of a certain age, remember when Brian Adams got really angry yeah. because a couple of his songs weren't Canadian content, but under the rules, it wasn't. You had to be not only a Canadian musician, which Brian Adams was, but you had to produce the song in Canada, which he didn't. He had to co-write, or at least the lyrics and the music had to be written by a Canadian, which they weren't. So... Unfortunately, Brian, you didn't kind of help the Canadian economy that specific way. So this is going to be interesting to see what happens now from Netflix and Spotify and Amazon and others. Yeah, and Eric, in, to a lesser extent, that went the other way. I remember talking to a guy who was in radio for a long, long time, and he said there were songs that they could play because it did meet CanCon qualifications, even though you wouldn't know, but the guy who wrote it or the producer or somebody was Canadian, so it passed muster and accounted for CanCon. So, I mean, it wasn't cut and dried when it came to what got you your CanCon points. 
I think a lot of people who grew up in the 80s have nothing but CanCon to help for their record collection. Everybody from The Spoons to Strange Advance to Platinum Blonde and yep. Corey Hart and Rough Trade all were under the Canadian content rules. In fact, um, you know, even artists like Jesse Reyes or Justin Bieber when he was first starting out or Drake or The Weeknd all got a little bit successful, even though that they went off and signed to a big American label and got worldwide success, having that Canadian content allows the weekend to sell a million copies in Canada, and that helps out record labels to sign new artists. It helps radio stations, um, it, you know, to keep people listening so they can sell advertising. So it helps the the big artists that you wouldn't think about, like a Blue Rodeo, who you think, well, they may not need Canadian content rules and regulations. But the fact is that given the choice, I think most radio stations would rather play you know, the Ariana Grandes of the world or K-poppers that, you know, don't really contribute much to the Canadian value. Now, let me ask you, though, Eric, because you mentioned The weekend. If you take a look, I mean, now, there's no question, acts like Blue Rodeo, I mean, even Tragically Hip, I think, benefited yeah, greatly absolutely. from Canadian content. But in this day and age, Justin Bieber, The weekend, Drake, you're talking about arguably the three biggest pop stars on Earth. They don't need CanCon. I mean, they did just fine without it. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, one of the knocks against Canadian content is that when you are uh, a, a radio programmer, um, it's very easy to fill up your 35% Canadian content um, ratio with just playing the hits from Canadian artists, from Lindsay L. all the way down, depending on what station you're on. Um, but it doesn't necessarily always work that way. Um, they all, most radio stations have to help support emerging talent independent artists they have to give money to festivals and organizations that are are kind of building the next superstars and um even though that i I get it i get why certain content regulators or certain content creators um on youtube or tiktok are like well you know am i now going to be competing with somebody who is unknown from another province rather than building me up because mm-hmm. the algorithm thinks that i've had enough success and that's going to be interesting to to see but the fact is though that it needed a re- you know this whole act needed uh, an overhaul considering where we are look back in 1991 there was no internet and it's not it's not just enough to say well if it's good it'll succeed because that doesn't happen. Most countries in the world have their own rules and regulations for their own Canadian content. Australia is doing it right now where radio stations and Spotify and and, uh, uh, and other platforms now have to have a certain amount of Australian content. The UK has it as well and we've seen some amazing things come out of there. And when you're Netflix, this is why Netflix is starting to put a lot of money into Chinese content or Japanese content or content from Spain or Italy is because those countries are standing firm on if you want to show your channel here, you are going to have to show this content. And some of it is doing really, really well worldwide. In this internet age, though, Eric, can it even be done? I mean, this is the this is the thing, right? Like, I, I've got a bunch of people on the text line already saying, "I'm just going to get a VPN and I'll watch whatever I want to watch wherever I want to watch it." I don't care about all these rules. And I mean, the internet is sort of the wild west still in a lot of ways. These rules might help to some extent, but really, it's the internet, isn't it? 
Yeah, and that's, I think, going to be really interesting to see. And I know people who don't necessarily like the government meddling in with their personal choices um, feel that kind of anger. But that's going to be really interesting questions that the government hasn't answered yet. What actually counts as Canadian yeah. culture worth preserving? Who gets to decide <laughs> how many percentages of people working on a film is Canadian. Are they going to be checking IDs? Are they going to be checking social security numbers? How much intervention is necessary? And I think more importantly, if Netflix you know, goes below um, that Canadian content rules, what happens? Do they issue them a $50,000 fine that Netflix makes in three minutes? Or are they, you know, going to get maybe knocked off of certain platforms? How Canadian is Canadian enough? You know, um, it, it's interesting. Can and you know, and and I was thinking about this over the weekend. Can a group of Americans come up with an American staff and tell a Canadian story really, really well under these rules? It wouldn't be deemed Canadian, even though it was about us. So I think there's still some some clarification that's needed. But uh, whatever they decide, it's not going to make everybody happy. Hey, Eric, can you hang on for a sec? Because I want to ask you about Ed Sheeran and Marvin Gaye, if you've got a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'll throw you on hold. We'll take a quick break and be back with more with Eric Alper right after this. So last week, Ed Sheeran was in court in New York being sued by the daughter of Marvin Gaye's co-writer, his writing partner, because the family had decided that Sheeran's hit, um, thinking out loud, right, sir? Is that was the hit? Yep. Yeah. Thinking out loud was a ripoff of Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. I can't hear it. I just can't. I, I don't hear it. Eric Alper, uh, our music expert. He's a freelance music publicist and a serious XM host. Eric, I mean, okay. C- could you hear that thinking out loud is a ripoff of Let's Get It On? No, I didn't even know about this um, kind of similarity until Ed Sheeran, in fact, did it himself. Yeah. And he performed the song, and as he does from time to time, he mixes other songs into a mashup doing live. And he did Let's Get It On, and he didn't have to change the chords. The problem is that the chord that Marvin Gaye's um, uh, co-writer's daughter is going after, it's a really simple chord progression. It's the one, one three, four, five. Yeah, one, four, five, which is also the same chords as the Beatles, I Feel Fine, and Crocodile Rock. Eric, it's literally 98% of the pop songs ever written. (laughs) Everything. Now, here's here's where the difference is, and I don't want to make people's heads spin, so I'll try to explain it. The, The lawsuit isn't based on the song that you and I and everybody hears all the time. It's actually based on what is called a lead sheet. And the lead sheet is the written composing of the song before he went into the studio. So it might not have been in the original song, but it's the same chord progression and similarities that they're going after. So they're not playing the original song of Marvin Gaye in court. They're getting somebody to perform what the bare bones copyright composition was written. And that's going to be interesting because now these really famous musicians who always get sued. I mean, look, we, you and I hear about court cases like this. I can guarantee you that for every song that's on the Billboard Hot 100 right now, there are probably seven to ten lawsuits 
in the background waiting to settle because somebody halfway around the world is claiming that they ripped them off. But um, but this is going to be interesting because I think it's just going to put the fear. Now that we all have access to every single song ever written in the history of popular music, um, this is going to happen more and more. And I think it's frustrating songwriters and musicians alike. And also, it's, you know, it, it's, I'm sure, getting really upset the people who are suing them who may actually have a claim against them. I think you're right. And I think Ed Sheeran sort of made that point when he said, listen, a lot of this is done just because they hope that someone's going to say, hey, listen, here's $100,000. I don't want to deal with this. Just go exactly. away. And he's saying, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. So he actually went to court with his guitar and, and performed for the judge. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not putting up with it. Maybe we need to have more artists say, listen, okay, you want to take this to court? I got a lot of money and a lot of time. Let's go to court. Yeah, but it, it affects their reputation. It does. And, and, and what it does is that, you know, when somebody like Ed Sheeran, um, has been sued, um, a handful of times now in his career, um, it does affect his reputation. Now, I, I, I don't think it affects down the line where, you know, he becomes a pariah in the music industry. Um, but certainly what it does is it, it kind of, you know, puts a little bit of stain on people's careers. It certainly gives them a couple of more lines that maybe they don't want on their Wikipedia page um but certainly you know what's what's amazing about uh, what's also kind of it it's not a i was gonna say it's amazing because it's not really but the lawyer of uh marvin gay's co-writer's daughter isn't just talking to the media about the similarities of the song what he mentioned specifically was that this was another case of a white man ripping right. off the yeah. black man in america kind of riding on the coattails of, of black lives matter and what that whole country has gone through in the last couple of years of that reckoning so he's kind of making this to be a racial issue and i think that that's really affecting Ed Sheeran, who is probably, you know, one of the nicest, sweetest people that you'll ever want to meet. Um, but certainly, I think even he was taken aback by the whole, this isn't just about the song. Right. This is about 500 years of how, you know, people have treated one another in America. And which is well documented. We know that there's a legitimate issue around that and has been. It was awful. I mean, there's no question, but I mean, it might be a bit of a stretch in this sense, but uh, we'll see where it goes, Eric. But listen, if they get rid of 145, if, if Marvin Gaye decides that he owns that, there's no more music. That's it. Pop music ceases to exist. Nobody well, can write I, anything anymore. I, yeah, look, if I'm Rod Stewart's lawyer and <laughs> I've got, have you, have I told you lately or with or without you by you too, I'm now thinking about suing Marvin Gaye's team. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. Eric, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.